1: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
2: A Game Warden's children's book titled A Cowboy in the Woods is a story of Bobby, a boy who spends the whole summer observing wildlife, writing notes in his notebook, fishing with his dad, and keeping track of all the animals in his neighborhood. While trying to solve a neighborhood mystery, what he discovers is more than just an appreciation for the natural world. The idea for this book came from Wayne Saunders' own childhood experiences, growing up and exploring the woods and streams and lakes and ponds of his native New Hampshire. The love of nature instilled in his childhood led him to a career as a conservation officer. Wayne Saunders is a retired lieutenant conservation officer from the New Hampshire Fish and Game Department. Lindsay Webb is a naturalist, wildlife biologist, and environmental educator. Together, they collaborated with wildlife artist Ashley Mares to produce The Cowboy in the Woods, the story of a boy whose love of nature leads him in unexpected directions. Available at wardenswatch.com and Amazon. Wardens Watch Podcast is now on Patreon, combining the Thin Green Line Podcast and the Wardens Watch Podcast on Patreon to bring member-exclusive extra content both video, audio, and with product deals as well. Become a member to support our podcast and get something extra. Search Warden's Watch Podcast on Patreon.
3: We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things.
2: Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Warden's Watch, episode 83, John Demler. New Hampshire fishing game, Northwoods Law, former Army guy John, 10th Mountain Division, uh, which we got a lot of conversation in with that. As a matter of fact, our cover is going to be with him in his camo back back in the day when he was, uh, you know, an infantryman with the uh, the 10th Mountain Division. So I thought that was a really interesting, and it seems like a good. I mean, all military is a good segue into being a game warden but 10th Mountain Division, I don't know, just kind of that, that mountain thing, but although he caught, talks about being deployed in Afghanistan and, and uh, Iraq as well. Not really your mountainous areas, but uh, so, but a very interesting conversation with that.
1: Yeah, you know, he um, the 10th Mountain is a great unit. I've worked mm. with a lot of those guys, and they work like game wardens work, and they yeah. work very high-altitude stuff, you know. And if he was anywhere near, you know, the Pakistan border up in the he, Hindu he was. Fish, or any, any of those areas— <laughs> That stuff is like the eastern Sierras of California, Mm -hmm. jagged mountains, high altitude. So he was, he was in some rough ass country, man, but it's a, it's a really, you're right, Wayne. It's a really Mm -hmm. good base to be a good game warden, just like the retired seals and other guys we had on our met team that ended up going into fishing game just because they were lifelong conservationists and hunters and anglers and love wildlife and they serve their country. And then they got to get their dream career after by going the game warden route. And uh, this is a perfect story, man. He just follows that. That wonderfully.
2: Yeah, and as listeners, we have a lot of current service people listening to us. I know. Steve cass 's son Nathan actually is a marine, and he was thinking about getting out and he reached out to me about you know the, the opportunities of being a game warden and then he re upped so he's still a marine, but he certainly listens to the podcast and uh you know shares it with his marine uh, friends and uh, comrades there and uh, yeah so it's uh it's pretty cool and I, I really appreciate it I think it's a great segue from going from uh you know, any job in the military and then segueing in. So I think that's that's really cool. And this this is pretty cool because we took John Demler's interview and we kind of made it a question and answer for our Patreon members. We put out there, if you had some questions for John uh, being on Northwood's Law, He like he admits, kind of like me, he doesn't have a whole lot of episodes, but some of his episodes are very memorable. And he actually had to shoot a bobcat as they were releasing it. And it actually probably had rabies. I think they did test it and it had rabies because uh, it wasn't they 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 were going to have that epic release like you do with the right. the eagles the you know the bears and everything they were all set up camera wise and the cat came out and turned on them and wasn't acting right and kind of was uh, and John had to end up putting it down which is the reality of our job but yeah. <laughs> it wasn't exactly what they expected on an episode of Northwoods Law and to their credit they 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 kept that and they played it to show more of what really happens sometimes.
1: Yeah. And that's kudos to a good production team and and editors that are uh, trying to capture, you know, the hard days, Mm. you know, it's not all fun and games. We don't ever want to have to do that. And certainly when the public sees that, because cats are so cool in general for our public to see, um, you know, John had a hard call that day and what he had to do. And, you know, I've been there, you've been there. You know, I think we talked about this before Four four mountain lions, I had to dispatch, you know, in my career and it was all under the guise of, you know, and the uh, reasons of public safety. And it was not a fun day. You know, that's not how you want to have to harvest any animal, you know, when, when that, that problem happens. But yeah, that was good that they showed it and, and show mm-hmm. the challenges, what we do in the wildlife balance and urbanization versus conservation really working, you know, it's a, it's a fine balance. And, uh, that was, that was a hard move for John to handle and well done.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So one of the questions that didn't make the question and answer session that came in late, and I I think both of us, I want both of us to answer this as well, John, and then we can, uh, for our Patreon members, they'll have an answer on Patreon from John. Uh, but it says, how much does all your daily equipment weigh, belt, vest, etc.? And, I'm thinking in the range of 25 pounds, guessing. What do you think? Yeah,
1: I think on the heavy end, I know when I started as a cadet, I wore everything on the the, (laughs) the battle belt because I wanted to have everything on the battle belt and Uh be uh, be, be overly equipped and too tactical
2: as far as tactical. Did you carry two sets of handcuffs back then too? Yeah, I carried two
1: sets of handcuffs my whole career. You, you did, okay, absolutely.
2: Even even on met, we carried two sets of
1: handcuffs. Yeah, now, granted, we had them in compact pouches and really lightweight. You know, we had some of the high speed, low drag, light metal ones. But, mm-hmm. um, but I, I always, you know, I'm sure John in his careers he developed. You start going down the road, especially when you're packing a lot of weight in the military mm. or on a met team, you you want to trim the fat. You know, you want to go minimalist and still stay safe. So I started every bit of 25 pounds, I'm going to say, but you know, our, our level three, a vest got a lot lighter, you know, very true, 20, 30 year span, Mm -hmm. um, the safari land, one I was running, um, when I was in patrol, uh, uniforms in and around met was very light. And I'm going to say, you know, maybe 15 pounds even or less. Mm. By the time we got down there, wearing you know Cordura belts versus leather, yeah, um,
2: good point. Really,
1: really good level two and level three holsters that are made out of really strong Kydex, but featherweight. Mm -hmm. But it fifteen pounds still wears on you, as you know, Mm -hmm. Wayne. Yes, it does. I'm sure John could uh, could attest to that. That um, even when you have a minimalist belt, it's still affecting you all day long.
2: Yeah, he's actually going to weigh his, so I asked him to videotape weighing his belt. So we'll have to see what that is. But I, good points on uh, the, the just the technology that has changed over the course of our careers and the lighter weights. And and then it goes from tactical, what you were doing, to everyday duty sometimes is, is heavier. You know, I carried one set of handcuffs. I kept, you know, two or three sets in the cruiser. So I, I was prepared, but I didn't always have that on me for that option. And as we, you know, there's tasers, there's spray, there's yep. key holders sometimes. Uh, some of us carry knives. I know that's a big game warden thing in New Hampshire is to carry the the Buck 110 on your on your belt. Uh, yep. it's, it seems to be like what everybody likes to do. I always kept a Leatherman kind of hooked in my, with a clip on my pants and not wear uh, the Buck 110. But, you know, that, that's a great point that the technology has changed, which helps us and have you put it's funny because after about three months i put a uniform on with that same belt and boy my body did not like it <laughs>
1: right well and that's the thing Wayne. we've seen like when i was uh when i was speaking and, and training with um all the south dakota game wardens last week mm. they wear tack vest just like yeah. we do in california for a regular uniform patrol not even special operations so they have a very light belt to hold their pistol but then all of their their impact Other stuff. weapons, their spray, their Leatherman, their magazines, their mm. radios, their lapel mics. They're all on that. Um, they're all on that kind of a plate carrier, that tactical vest. Yeah, And it zips up and your armor's in it. So, I mean, that's really been a game changer because it takes all that weight off your lower back, mm. distributes it over the shoulders like a pack, and it's a lot more balanced. And I would say my tack vest that I was using toward the end of my career when we had those approved, were very much pain relieving, lot more pain relief than, you know, lower trauma and stuff that you just have in your lower back after a while, but they were still pretty heavy. You know, it's just mm-hmm. how that weight was distributed. So that's what, you know, are you going to weigh your, your, your tactical vest? If that's what you're running in your agency versus a Sam Brown belt, I'll take the vest every day, man. Yeah.
2: Just, I never I had, had that know. option. It sounds really good. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah so great we're going to hear from uh john demler episode 83 warden's watch thanks for listening and if you get an opportunity to give us a rating that always helps us on our podcasts whether it's spotify apple podcasts and we are currently at a 4.9 so you might put us back onto that 5.0 which we're always looking for on huh, john oh yeah cool thanks on this episode of warden's watch i'm sitting down with John Demmler, New Hampshire Fishing and Game, and Northwoods Law because a lot of those people like you, John, on Northwoods Law. They see a lot of comments about you and, and, and things like that. So they they really like your personality. I think they like you seem like a real family guy. I shouldn't say seem. (laughs) No, it's on TV, so you never can, I mean, they could spin it any way they want, right? They they, they could, they could, but I think that that's the reaction I get from a lot of people. So much that it was the first time I reached out to some Patreon members and said, hey, you have some questions for, I'm going to sit down with John this week, and do you have some questions, and had him submit some questions. So uh, I thought that was pretty neat. Didn't want to be overwhelmed, so I just put it out to our Patreon members, and uh, we got some questions here that we're going to go through and answer. Which is a first time for Warden's Watch getting, uh, you know, people that listen, good participation. So that's kind of neat. So, yeah, uh, let's let's start off. You you are a family guy, right? Uh, I have a family. Yeah, you have a family. I the, mean, the the family guy just isn't a good. Well, <laughs> after I watching that show, <laughs> yeah, right. And who everybody's everyone every father, I guess, is a family. It's guy. Is a family guy, right? So, yeah, I just see you labeled that a lot. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I—I I, I guess I'm not sure why, because to be honest with yeah, you, I don't watch a whole lot of Northwood's Law because it's like watching work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I'm the same way. People
4: bring up episodes, and I'm not in a lot of. I'm in some, but people bring up. things... You're in ones like, that
2: people remember. I think the the moves. Some unique ones. Some yeah.
4: unique ones. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm over like a more of a quality type guy versus <laughs> that quantity. You yeah. know, <laughs> I, I wish I could say the same. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, everybody's a family man, like I said before. I don't, I have a family, and it was part of the decision being, you know, transferring from my background and then becoming a conservation officer for New Hampshire was definitely a jump, but at the same time, it's worked out. And I've, what I've learned is to try and balance as best I can, you know, my Mm -hmm. personal needs as an individual, the family you know, what I want to do with my kids and what they want to do with me. And especially with my partner, my wife, Carla, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that a marriage takes in general back and forth. But then also being a conservation officer has a lot of requirements and it's easy to get roped into saying like, you know, work comes first, but it doesn't always. Um, but you also, it's sometimes you can't just sit back and do nothing and be like, well, I got this to do, and I'm supposed to go here and do that. You You do have to, Get, get your nose out to the grindstone and get into work and work some late nights, work, get some calls out in the middle of the night and not say, oh, I can't do that. So
2: Right, and you came into this game married with, with a family. Yep so that that's a that's a kind of a weird transition too for a family, yeah, I came in as an individual, so it really didn't matter, but it certainly affects everybody, especially that first year where you are training, you're at the police academy. there's a lot going on there in that first year that you have to be really committed to,
4: yes, yeah, stop me if I go digress too far because I can talk for days. I got stories forever, I feel like, but uh <laughs> that's good, so, that's a good podcast <laughs> <Yeah>. people. <laughs> I enlisted in the Army and served eight year, over eight years on active duty as an infantryman. And part of that, obviously, uh, I was deployed to Afghanistan three different times and supported Operation Enduring Freedom. My wife and I met after my first deployment to Afghanistan. We had known each other a little bit, um, but we...
2: Was that a dating site or something? No, no. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it was a dating site. If you really... How far do you want to
4: go to get into this story? Um, no, I went to college before I joined the Army. My college roommate was from Watertown, New York. I grew oh, wow. up in Buffalo. And my wife's father is a is a ex-Green uh, Beret medic and everything like that, um, who became a PA through the Army. His last duty station was Fort Drum, New York, which is also Watertown. So we were acquainted... Through college, because my wife went to school, Carla went to school in uh, Buffalo as well. When I came back from my first deployment, I met up with all my college buddies again. And Carla was a designated driver for us one night when we were out. And the rest, I guess, is history. Yeah. So did kind of throw you right into, like, she was very familiar with the military lifestyle. But I, you know, we were married in a non-deployment time, in a dwell time, they call it. Um, we expected our, we're expecting our daughter, uh, and I'm like, all right, see you later. I'll be <laughs> back in a year. I'm going back to Afghanistan. And so we did that actually I had deployed two times with, you know, being married and trying to raise a family and the army, everyone says a conservation officer, you know, ha- works crazy hours, but so does a soldier in the army, especially mm-hmm. uh, infantry or something along those lines where you're out in the field all the time or you're getting pulled to go for 28 days on a rotation to a training center. So coming out of the army, the transition was... Uh, the scary thing was the army does take care of a family, you know, they, they pay me as a soldier, uh, decently and they provide housing and healthcare and everything like that. So the big jump of being like, all right, uncle Sam's no longer going to just hold my hand. And as long as I do what I'm supposed to do, you know, get paid and, and live on post housing or get an allowance to go get an off post apartment or something like that. So it was kind of a big, it was a scary thing to do to leave that, especially where I was as a kind of like a. A, start, a staff surgeon and, and looking forward to a promotion type deal where I was living comfortably, if, mm-hmm. as comfortable as you can in the Army. Mm-hmm. But we made it work, we used the GI Bill to go to school for a year um, and kind of applied everywhere just so that I had something that wasn't just, couldn't just go, you know, work at the pizza shop down the street or something like that and support. Because at that right. point we had my daughter and my son. So mm. it's a, it was a transition, but I did. Everything worked out. I got hired. At 30 years old, by the Fish and Game Department, we were able to move to New Hampshire, and then I guess the rest is history. It's been so going on. You weren't, on to you weren't eight targeting years. New Hampshire at all. You I, just,
2: I was. The decision. You were. Okay. It,
4: it was uh, a big. My last uh, deployment to Afghanistan uh, kind of was the point where I had decided we. My wife and I had talked a lot, and we decided I wasn't going to reenlist and stay in that. I was still young enough to try and find something else to do. And an interest of mine uh, growing up, I, I grew up in Wheatfield, New York, which is really like Niagara Falls, right on the Niagara river, just about six miles up or so from Niagara Falls itself. So we would go to a big state park and they had like a state parks police that lived out there, uh, Allegheny state park in like the Western area of the state. And it was always cool. Cause they lived in like the log cabins all by themselves. And mm-hmm. like their job was just to patrol the park. So in, in my mind, I knew what a game warden was. I didn't see him very much on the river. Usually, it was a sheriff's patrol more than an encon in New York. That I I, I actually, I I don't think I ever, other than seeing a boat go by every now and then, I never was fishing checked or anything like that. But I knew that they existed. I knew parks police existed. I knew, you know, that the Forest Service and on on the federal side had law enforcement officers. So that kind of put me into the scope of like, well, if I'm going to get out and do something that I really want to do, rather than go try and be a teacher or be a lawyer or something along those lines. Why don't I really find something that fits what I feel is my skill set and like would provide an interest to me. And that's, that just slowly, especially with the internet and Google searching and the more you read about things and talk to people. And I had known uh, somebody from New Hampshire. And when you start to look at my family's from the greater Buffalo area, my wife's family, she's a military brat, but her family's from uh, around Worcester, Massachusetts. So, we're going to try and stay in the Northeast. Where do we want to go? Mm. And you look at New Hampshire and I mean, I'm, I would never, I'm glad the way that my life worked out, but at the same time, I would have loved to have been born here and grew up in the town of Thornton where I live now Yeah. Um. and had, you know, had the experiences that, that it seems like the state has to offer. And like to raise a family, it's been awesome here and we're really lucky that we, that everything worked for us, you know, the way that we decided to move forward, but mm. also the way that... I say there's a little bit of luck but a lot of perseverance and kind of pushing and making things happen on our side. So No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. So That's I what makes it happen. I applied uh, just to a bunch of different agencies to try and cover if I needed to do something. Mm-hmm. And this was the fishing game department was really kind of like that was my goal, but you hear all these and I'm sure everybody's heard this or I don't know if you talked about it before in podcasts with people, but you know, thousands of people apply. They only hire one, Mm -hmm. you know, you're never going to be a game warden. They don't hire (laughs) for 10 years at a time. So it's daunting, especially when you don't know, especially you don't know, like I I didn't have anybody that I did ride alongs with or grew up with in, in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. So I applied to New York state for their environmental police officers and their forest rangers. There's, there's state police, and then I applied to New Hampshire state police as well. And it was like, I think with my background and my experience, I should get a job somewhere. You would
2: hope so, yeah.
4: And then I, if I have to, I can always use that additional experience. If I Say if I got hired in New York or something, I could use that to say I'd like to move to New Hampshire. That was my goal. And luckily for me, it all just worked out like kind of one shot.
2: Did any of those other agencies reach out to you? To th- All the
4: other agencies wor- reached That's what out I was to thinking. me. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny that uh, New Hampshire State Police. I think the day after, then Major Jordan called me. Kevin Jordan called me and offered me a job when I was living uh, in Wanakena, New York, out in the Adirondacks. Yeah, um, I was ecstatic. I think it's the we home went, of the
2: Wanakena Ranger School. It is. That's yeah. where I we went to school for uh, a year. There. Yep.
4: Okay. Um, yeah. okay. Yeah. So I think it was the one of the. Captains from the state police called me uh, to do my final commander's interview for the state police, and I said, "Well, I just accepted an offer with Fish and Game." He said, "Oh, okay," and he so so he sent me the whatever declination packet or whatever it was that I had to sign. So yeah, yeah,
2: no, that's 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 really good timing on our part for sure. Yeah. So your your army did that help you uh, as far as does that help you with this job? It definitely did. Yeah, it
4: made me. It took me. So I enlisted when I was twenty and obviously had gone to school for a couple of years before that. Didn't really know what I wanted to do. Didn't have a direction enlisting in the army taught me a lot about myself, taught me definitely to trust in other people to, I I mean, I have, I have whatever, however I was raised, I have a certain personality or background, but it definitely showed me that you have to be able to do what you can do. um, And that translates into this job and to, I, my wife always laughs because I say, you know, I'm a, I'm a problem solver. Like if there's a problem, I don't say, well, I don't know. That's, I, I don't know what to do. I'm not going to do anything or call, let's call somebody else. Like I want to solve the problem. And that was a big part of being in Afghanistan was nobody's going to take care of you. in some of the areas that we were, uh, my experiences were very austere and yeah, people that are not very friendly to you. And next thing you know, you have a problem. There's literally nobody else that's going to solve your problem except for you or the group of people you're with. So mm-hmm. that. To me, that is a big part of what we do, and that's why we all are so successful because each one of us, you know, the 45 of us are individually a very good problem solver. When we get a situation that most other agencies or people or whatever it is can't solve, we're the ones that are like, well, we'll take, you know, we, we know what to do or we don't know what to do, but we're going to figure out what to do because something's got to get done. So that's, I think, a big takeaway that I came it, came from the Army with, and then I also just had the experience of, as a 26 year old, you know, running a 20 a man group of people in combat zone. And, uh, some of the other experiences that I had dealing with logistics and accountability of equipment and, uh mission planning and every, everything your army does, you really teach you to be a leader and teach you to know what you're at least talking about, because you can't say, yeah, I know how to do this. And then when it, when you get called out, when the, when the flame comes and, it's time for you to jump through it you you actually can make it and get to the other side and do what you got to do so
2: yeah and when you I think of the problem solving thing and you just talked about I think about when when fire departments will sometimes start their own search and rescue missions and then two or three hours into it and they're like oh we better call fishing game now because that's happened to me a couple times in my career and then you gotta go start like you said uh whether it's unfixing things or fixing things or doing it your way. But uh, that's happened a few times with search and rescue that it's like an afterthought about calling fishing game. And then when it hits the wall, they're like, uh, yeah, we better call fishing game now.
4: That's a, that's a real good example of it because it does happen quite a bit. And, mm-hmm.
2: and when they're quick and easy, I don't mind if they do that. <laughs> yeah.
4: Well, that's exactly it. Now a lot of people in a lot of like, the, it seems like there's a, a safety net in, uh, in the 21st century in America, it's probably good that most people don't ever have to face like a problem that, that if it gets too complicated for them, they can always call somebody. Or right. if they like, you know, if there is an emergency, they will call an emergency service. But yeah. we are the emergency service. And sometimes in the woods, yeah. when there's
2: a problem in the woods, call the game and I think nationwide that happens. Yeah. And Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. It's listening to other stories around the country. When it's in the woods, I think of Pennsylvania with their tracking team. You know, they're getting renowned for their human tracking team. Yeah, exactly. And when it it steps off the pavement, they they pick up the phone and call Pennsylvania trackers to track me and track. Yeah which is uh, pretty cool, or, or tracking in the woods with dogs. It's it's just, that's our, that's where we operate. It's exactly it. And that's where you operated as a, as an infantryman too, right? Yeah, well, within reason, as much as, <laughs> wherever they said you are going is where yeah. we went. But now, yeah. when you say four drum, I always think 10th Mountain Division. Uh, yeah, I was
4: an infantryman in one of the infantry battalions there, so that's part of, like, well, it's been restructured a little bit, but most, mm-hmm. the majority of the... Division is at Fort Drum in New York, so that's 10th Mountain Division, and it, it's a light infantry division. So that means um, it's not a you know it's not an airborne unit, the parachutes, or it's not supported with extra helicopter assets. It does have a, an aviation unit as part of the division, but it's kind of primarily just light infantry, and uh, I'll say the Global War on Terror, so between Iraq and Afghanistan. And you could go into, I'm sure there's podcasts and articles all over the place about Mm. this kind of thing, but it, it took the army into a idea of that everyone was preparing to either go to Iraq or Afghanistan and it got away from that, what they call full spectrum operations. But now um, I see a lot of people that I was in the army with, or I, you know, I'm friends on uh, social media with different groups and uh, they're getting back into that full spectrum training and a lot of soldiers the 10th Mountain Division is taking up ski using, utilizing skis and some of the Arctic training and using uh, what we call Akios big sleds and like getting into that, being able to go and be a light infantryman again in the mountains and that mm. that's kind of fun. We did a little training here and there, but mostly you, you went to Afghanistan, you came back, you got new people, you got your equipment reset, and you started training again for your collective tasks so that the whole unit could get ready to go back to Afghanistan within a year to a year and a half. So it Mm kind of limits like, Hey, let's go to a, you know, a mountain course. Like now, like (laughs) we got a live fire to do. We got, you know, qualifier machine gunners because we're leaving here in another like eight months. So yeah, you're right. And that's the focus of the
2: military at that time. So that's what they were focusing on when you said the broad spectrum is probably better.
4: But I did, I mean, of all the places that I went, we were, I was in the Eastern kind of the northeastern part of the, of Afghanistan and Kunar province and was actually in the mountains. So, you know, people from the 10th mountain division have deployed all over to Iraq and Afghanistan, but it, especially in uh, 2006 and seven, when I was there. And then again, 2009, we, I was, some of the places we were, were extremely, I mean, we're at 7,000 feet up to, well, I think we crossed one day, we crossed over 10,000 feet in some of the mountains out there and it, it was rugged. And it makes me really appreciate now when I have to go up onto Franconia Ridge and I just have like a little bit, you know, it's a light mm. summer day and I got a summer pack with some extra first aid and some extra water and a little bit of clothing. And I'm like, this is nothing compared to wearing armor and ammo and then carrying a ruck that's basically 90 pounds or whatever the garbage that we have in there. Because you, if you can stand up with a rucksack on, you probably have not enough stuff in there. You're going to get a mortar <laughs> round or you're going to get more ammunition or you better carry like an extra combat lifesaver kit or something so
2: yeah yeah because that stuff's heavy when yeah. you start talking ammo yeah. that's uh definitely heavy stuff so let's bang out a few of these questions Perfect. because i don't want to get through you know two hours of podcasting and then go oh i forgot the <laughs> questions no. so let's do a few and we'll go we'll split them like half and half so connie r i'm not going to say their last name in case they don't want to say it so uh do conservation officers, like other law enforcement officers have to periodically qualify with their firearms if so how often Yes, they do. Um, so New Hampshire, and you're a firearms instructor, right? I am a firearms instructor for
3: the department.
4: Excellent question department. for you. Yep. Um, so we, yeah, the the short answer is yes, we do. And uh, to get into that a little bit is a conservation officer is a full time law enforcement officer in the state of New Hampshire, and we have a police trainings and uh, police standards and training council, so PSTC, that puts out every full-time certified police officer and then also part-time police, you know, whoever's going to serve as a police officer, it puts out the minimum requirements that they have to do each year. And part of that is qualifying. That in and of itself is fairly basic. I mean, you have to meet a qualification standard, but what we do, we we not only qualify once a year, which we're required to do. And, uh, you know, we turn that into the police academy or the police standards and training council so that they can see that, but we, we do an additional training on top of that. And then we conduct usually a, a fall training. So every officer gets another chance to use their firearm. And then we do some scenario-based training, which is very good for us, and it really is a kind of a real world experience. We take things that we've run into or things that happen uh and put people into with like a simulated firearm type situation, like almost like a paintball gun. Uh, But scenarios that are very kind of high stress and get you thinking, and then we talk about it and analyze it. And so I think that's good. It's one of the more important things. We actually were just meeting with the chief firearm instructor yesterday, Brad Morris, uh, myself, and one of the other firearms instructors. And it's really one of the most important things we do. Which is kind of sad to say, um, you know, it could be a very, very short incident, but it could be one of the, the most important things to do. It could be the choice of, you know, whether or not to utilize like your firearm and like a lethal force situation or whether or not something happens where you have to disengage or if you do have to engage. Like it's a whole, it's a lot of, lot of stuff that people don't like to focus on, but it is important. And of the time, it's not even something that we think about, but I mean, especially you can, I'm sure, Mm. and have talked about, you know, it's that one day that all of a sudden everything is extremely important because it could be the difference between you being killed or, you know, you having to take a life or something along those lines and to know all the legal ramifications of it, you know, to be able to think clearly in those types of situations, um, it's a lot, but we also... We have such a wide variety of other things that we do that we don't Mm. want to focus all. You know, we're not, our job isn't just to be, we're not a SWAT team. We don't go and, you know, try and kick in doors. We're not very kinetic, like about 0% of the time, I think probably is what it averages to that an officer is actually thinking about whether or not they're going to have to draw their firearm. So
2: Mm. that's it. It's a, but that training kicks in and that's why we, we train like that. It becomes second instinct. I'm sure you've had it. All of a sudden, you you, you got to draw your gun, and you don't even remember drawing it. It's in your hand and ready to go because yeah. we do it so often. You get so used to when you come out of the police academy, you've drawn your gun. I don't know how many hundreds of times. Yeah. And through training, you draw your gun. so all of a sudden, you need your gun, and it's in your hand before you know it, and you didn't even think about it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And,
4: and that's what it's – I mean, it's a requirement. It's every, every one of us now, especially now – uh, there's no officer. Like I, I've, it's funny. I say I'm be approaching my eight year mark, which is kind of wow. crazy. I, I still crazy. feel like I'm a new, newer, <laughs> newer guy, but I'm not, but any, anybody that got hired, you know, it's a law enforcement position and we do have a responsibility. Um, I mean, we all took an oath and said that we're going to take care of people. And part of that is if somebody's out there that's causing issues or threatening somebody's life, like we have to be able to respond appropriately. And there's a lot of training that's involved there is a in that. You lot can't of you can't just take a gun and a badge and then go do something and yeah. say,
2: "All right, if something bad happens, you'll know what to do." Like, right. no. But as game wardens, we probably use our firearms more than any other law enforcement officer. Too. That's
4: true. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: that is definitely true and that's in regards to animals and animals and yeah. having to deal with sick and injured animals yeah. and unfortunate part of the job, but we do it a lot. Yeah. Um, for sure, yeah. Because that's how you have to deal with some of those. That's the most humanitarian way to do it when an animal's injury. down.
4: And then, yeah, and then, yeah, and explain to somebody that doesn't think that's how it should be.
2: Yeah. Usually, we do
4: a lot of that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No,
2: it's uh, definitely a, t- a tough situation, especially when there's a crowd around. Yeah. And it's a fawn or something, and it's got a broken leg that's never going to be fixed. Let's and-
4: do a. I'll do a quick transition. You're bringing it up, so the game warden tip that I've picked up uh is that if i'm going to shoot an animal and there's a lot of people around i usually shoot it three or four times like like you know the old like double tap if you will mm-hmm. right away because i've had it and i am and everybody has where you you take that one shot and you're like yep this is going to put it down and it doesn't and then it's 30 seconds go by and 45 seconds go by and everybody's looking at you and you have to shoot it again mm-hmm. right and then maybe that does it maybe it doesn't you have to shoot it another time who knows but if you go bang, 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 mm-hmm. you've shot it three times, you have three times the wound channels, you have three times the lethal hit probability, you've ended it suffering, and nobody says, oh, you had to shoot it three times, you know? You say, oh, yeah, he came and he put it down, right? Yeah. So that's oh. my that's my game warden tip for the day yeah, of euthanizing animals, That's not a bad idea.
2: I shot a moose once right in the head, and it and it turned and looked at me. Oh, yeah and everybody again you said everybody's like oh no shoot it again shoot it. i'm like it's dead it just doesn't know it yet yeah. it's just it's just give it a it didn't take long it was you know a shotgun slug but yeah but it's just it's one of those things that you're right when you say that uh and then i had one that was down a deer that was down i went to grab it to drag it off the road oh, boy. <laughs> and it kicked me in the gut yeah like its last throw kicked me it knocked me down knocked the wind out of me i had three or four people standing around of course i can't talk because the wind's knocked out of me and everybody's like are you okay are you okay And this deer hadn't moved at all. And I just, I went to grab that leg and it wound up and just did uh, that oh, little, uh, yeah. I was, I was afraid it penetrated my gut the way it kicked me. I bet. Uh, but I was laying, I remember like this people all standing around there like right above me. Are you okay? And I can't even talk because the, the wind was knocked out of me. Yeah. So another, another <laughs> lesson learned is uh, give it a little time. Uh, I had another one. This is a funny story. Stark, by fire department responded to an accident. as a moose dead in the road. So I'm um, like, the moose is dead? Yeah, oh well, yeah, it's dead, Wayne So I, I learned this little trick It's kind of funny And I was kind of showing off, too That you can spin an animal And you can spin him off the road You just get that kinetic energy moving in a circle And I could move him right off the road So I was, I was kind of showing off Well, I grabbed that antler and started to spin Yeah, he wasn't dead <laughs> Yeah, that was, uh, yeah. and that, that Moose tried to get up with me right beside him, and I'll tell you what, I, I did the dance, like, you wouldn't believe. I bet, A- And yeah. the firemen are all, like, wide-eyed, and they're like, oh, we're, we're sorry, we thought he was dead. I'm like, again, again, <laughs> one of those things you live and learn, and <laughs> yep. yeah, you, you make sure he's dead before if, uh, you try to show off. <laughs> That's right. But, see, you
4: learn through experience. So. <laughs> yes, you do, and I wish I could have
2: started all over again with all my experience and from the beginning, but I think it when, you, when you're when by yourself, you learn so much more it's that first year you're training with an officer and you learn a lot but that first year on your own i don't know if it was for you it it was epic because now it's all my my decision making my yeah so it's just uh figuring out the way you want to do it as an individual yeah definitely yeah i agree there okay we're gonna move on to questions but that was that uh see connie we just morphed into all kinds of things off of your questions i can talk that's yeah terry d what would you say was the toughest call you ever had to respond to?
4: Mm. Um, so I I put a couple notes there. Um, mm. Obviously we tough. I'm I'm assuming you're talking about like emotionally, like just all in all. Like if we were to sum it up, like it's that's a tough call. That's a tough day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will say like we do a lot of physically demanding things, uh, search and rescues, and sometimes you get called and they plop the pin way out there on mm. some trail, and you're, you're like, oh, that's. A garbage trail that's so far up it's so steep we're gonna have to use bro it's gonna be a long long day and the weather makes up for it to be really rough by the time you're done you're exhausted so that those are always tough but um we deal as law enforcement officers we deal especially uh wayne you, you're up there in the more northern country i'm in a fairly populated area but there's still not a long, lot of law enforcement so i've been called and had to deal with uh suicides and things like that and um that's never, that's always just a horrible situation because of the background of how, however it came to be, mm-hmm. um, you know, somebody is at, was at their worst point in their life and then everybody around them's trying to deal with that. So I can, I can remember, especially when in Wentworth where. The ambulance was waiting to go and nobody was around. And I actually was coming back uh, in November from sitting on a field and, you know, it was shots fired. And then, oh, it's a, is it a suicide? Or you show up to one of those things as the first officer really to secure the scene and figure out what's going on. And there's, a, you know, there's the family there and the person who decided that they had to take their life. And it's just, it's not a, it shakes mm. you up. It's a lot of, it's a lot of, uh, it's seeing everybody else be, so worried and distraught and and just uh, trying to figure out the humanity that's left in everybody there and how to, how to go about approaching the situation carefully and trying to, you know, you can't make anybody happy. And I think that's what I like to do. And that really disturbs me is like uh, everybody, there's nothing I can do right now other than just be here, I guess, Mm -hmm. and uh, wait for somebody else to show up and the EMS, you know, come in and everything like that. So those are always dealing with things like that is pretty rough. I feel like and. Those I would consider are way tougher than anything physically demanding. Yeah.
2: No, I would totally agree with you. And just uh, anything with deaths, you know, uh, just delivering that message to a family that yeah, their lost person, you know, the people they love, they're not coming home because we found them and they are are deceased. Yeah. So. I I don't do much of that yet. I leave that for yeah, you leave you guys. that for the, yep. the higher ups. But that 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 was the toughest things I had to do, and yeah, learned learned a lot through doing that, but. Uh, definitely w- was tough to sit down with a family and tell them that we've recovered your loved one, but you know, that they're, they're not alive. Yeah. So whether it was a suicide, whether it was a search and rescue mission or, and then there's the suicides you go to that just are, are sometimes can be extremely graphic that etch yeah. in your brain for the rest of your life. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So no, that was uh, another good question, but uh, Tracy A., what was going through your mind when that bobcat that you and Maria worked so hard to rescue came stumbling out of the crate? Well, so everyone's <laughs> talking about in Northwood's Law. Yeah. Um, Again, it was one of those memorable yeah. moments, John, that you were involved with. <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah. So what was going through my mind
4: directly at that moment was just I mean, it was a little bit of surprise to the cameras were all set up with the film crew that it was going to run into the woods and they were going to get the <laughs> shot of it after all the rehabilitation. Cause normally we wouldn't like, I, I talked to my boss, Jim Nealand about going down. We, I picked it up and then we took it to the rehabilitator and they were going to go to the vet and take the quills out of it. And he's like, ah, you know, he was not so thrilled about it all because it was taking me away from just regular patrol. But at the same time for me, it was a fun experience to be able to do all that. So it, I figured everybody assumed at that point the Bobcat was going to run away and do its normal thing. And so when it came out, when it stumbled out of the crate and turned towards us, um, uh, I'm like, well, it took about a half second for me. Cause you know, your, your thought process is that it's going to run away. And then when it doesn't happen like that, now you're into, you have to assess and analyze and then come up with a plan of action. And my brain only works so fast. Seconds. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I finally, I'm like, Oh boy. And it seemed like a long time. I know it wasn't, but, uh, so mm-hmm. I kind of backed up and it was circling and it, it was sort of coming towards Maria and I, and I think I was able to get in front of Maria and circle a little bit more. And I asked Maria, like, it that's got rabies or something. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to shoot it like as a question. Not that she was like, "Oh no, it's just the anesthesia is wearing off or something." And she was like, "Yeah," you know, mumbled something, and so I got her to step away. I was able to circle away from the camera crew so that I wasn't shooting towards anybody. Mm. And then finally, it was uh, I shot it. And as I'm sh- as I'm doing all of that, I do I. It's not on the TV show. They must have taken it out. But I'm. Yelling like, don't film this because it is <laughs> a joke type thing. It's like, oh boy, this isn't what we thought it was going to be. But I'm glad, truthfully, I'm glad that that show came. I figured it wouldn't have wouldn't gone on the to cut. the show. Yeah. yeah. And then when they are like, oh yeah, your Bobcat show, your Bobcat's going to be on there, I'm like, well, good. Because that's what happened. That's and that's the reality the of it. The way it goes sometimes.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I like to bring that aspect into Warden's Watch to let people know that it's it's just not. You know, because they like to put that on the show a lot of saving the animals, saving the animals, saving yeah. the animals. And uh, I remember Glenn with his uh, loon, the first one. I had gotten the call about the loon up at Back Lake from uh, Sheldon <laughs> Belanger, who was doing a detail up there, State Police. And he t- called me about. It. I said, okay, when when tomorrow comes, we'll we'll have an officer Egan will go up there and grab it and see if it's still alive or whatever. I got up in the morning and I heard Glenn had gone up that night and picked it up and drove it all the way to Concord to the animal hospital. Yeah. So, yeah, but that was the beginning of Northwood's law. And all I did was call up Glenn and I'm like, uh, hey, I got that call earlier. And uh, <laughs> I don't hope you, I hope you don't think you got paid for last night. Because technically, if you're going to be over, you're supposed to call your supervisor. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that came in there. But as a supervisor, he's a supervisor. He's a sergeant now. I think he would have made the same call. Yeah. <laughs> It's just funny cuz they don't see the other side in the show. They they see what's portrayed. Yeah. But there is, you know, we we've put down a lot of animals and it's necessary.
4: Yeah. It yeah, now it definitely is one of the things where it doesn't I mean, it doesn't.
2: It shows our the show
4: definitely does a good job I think of showing what we do. Mm-hmm. But there is an expectation that we rehabilitate everything and there's so much in regards to wildlife that we can't even no. come close to rehabilitating and it's uh, even the
2: rehabilitators will tell you that. Yeah, or or
4: you you know, you take it to them and then they have to waste their time to euthanize it and you know and it's right. donated whatever they they got to do and deal with it and you feel bad. So after a while you definitely figure out what stands a chance and what doesn't and yeah, ultimately, I mean
2: by RSA, our job is to
4: and, and, and deal I,
2: with wildlife. And, and we get a soft spot too, especially the older you get. Yeah. But even as a young warden, I had this crow that I was trying to catch. It was like March, and this crow had a broken wing, and he had chiseled out in the snow banking a spot where cars would go by. He'd, ho- he'd hide in his little cave. And so I tried to catch him one day, and I couldn't because he had so much juice in him. He'd jump, and it was like three feet of snow, and he'd be hopping in the snow, and I'd be trying to get him in the snow. And I couldn't catch him. Ah. So weeks went by. I tried catching him like three weeks in a row. And finally, I caught him because he had no energy. He hadn't been eating. Yeah. And finally, I got him. But I couldn't put him down because we had this relationship now, me and this crow. So I called Kathy Gregg. And I told her the story. I said, I, I know generally I don't bring crows in, but this crow's kind of special. So, and, and she's like, she kind of laughs. She's like, bring in the crow. So she splinted his wing, released him. She named him Survivor. Yeah, there you because go. Because of the story. Ah. And she released him. And she, you know, to, to that day, me and Kathy always talk about the crow that I brought in as a young game warden, too. Yeah. But I just, after three weeks of trying to catch this bird, and then I catch him, I, I'm like, uh... I know I generally don't bring a crow into a rehabilitator, but it nice. kind of, it's, <laughs> I, 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 I couldn't, didn't have the heart after he tried so hard. I mean, to chisel that yeah. little hole in the snowbank and out where he could get away from the cars every time a car come, he'd stuck in there. And finally I was able to catch him. So yeah, no, well, let's, let's go with another question. But that was a good question on the Bobcat. Cause that's, uh, again, that's what everybody remembers you about is you, like you said, you don't have a lot. But I think what you have is memorable. That's good. Yeah. Mm. It was a
4: surprise. And that yeah. it was on the show. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. Uh, Susan P., did you always want to be a game warden? Um, no, Susan, I I didn't uh,
4: necessarily always want to be a game warden. I know a lot of people, especially that I talk to and people I work with, say yeah, I, I grew up, you know, the first time I ever got checked, I knew that's what I wanted to do. I didn't, and I'm really glad um, I made a decision, kind of, I'll don't know. i say early in my life, because I, I think I'm not even, I got tons of time to go still, so, but I made a decision to come and do this. Um, like I said, I, I joined the Army. Really, I, uh, people, I don't know if people know this or not, I played drums, and I don't very much anymore, but I was, used I didn't to be that. really good. I was uh, planning to go to school for that, I had, was in the New York State, like, all-state jazz band, and things like that, wow. and, uh, yeah, so that's what my plan was, and then, Senior year, I just changed my mind and wanted to be a communications major because I didn't want to go be like a professional percussionist. It seemed like a lot of sitting around. And uh, hmm. anyway, so the so I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do, and the army shaped me, informed me, and gave me a purpose and taught me a lot about myself. And then that was the decision. You know as I was approaching 30 years old, of like, yes, this is now what I'm looking forward to doing, and this I feel like would be an awesome job. And that you know, Northwoods Law wasn't a show at the time, so I didn't have that much of an insight. Mm. Probably, it, I bet it would have helped me be even mm-hmm. more excited about it, but at the same time, I just knew that I wanted to work uh, in some kind of capacity outdoors, and it seemed like New Hampshire had the best mix of between so some people don't like search and rescue. I don't mind doing search and rescue, but we, you know, we do the search and rescue. We do snowmobiling, four wheeling. We do the traditional game warden duties. We do law enforcement duties. We do public interaction. It's a, it's a lot of variety and it's awesome. And I yeah. definitely, um, I wouldn't, I, I say this, I wouldn't change how I came to be, I guess, but, uh, I kind of, in the back of my head, I always wonder like, what if I'd started out just went to college and then came right as a game warden. I wonder what my life would be and I wonder if I would like it as much as I do now, but I wouldn't change things cuz I'm yeah. here. I'm in the here and the now, but here and
2: you're doing it. Yep. Yeah. And I think you're right. Northwoods Law, Lone Star Law, Wild Justice, all those shows help people learn about the job and see if they want it. So I think it's a good uh recruitment tool i 'm hoping this podcast I know this podcast is a good recruitment tool i 've had like six people from around the country say, yeah. "Hey, uh, thanks for your podcast. I just got hired here, just got hired there and it's it 's pretty inspiring to me because that 's exactly what I want this podcast to do isn in, 't to inspire the next generation, just like my book, you know a cowboy in the woods, yeah, I want to start inspiring that next generation at that young age, so they read a cowboy in the woods and my interaction at six years old had an impact on me, and I hope this book has an impact on them. And that's really why we're down here is because I'm going to your <laughs> your wife's school to to read to her yeah. class uh, my, the book. Yeah, so, yeah uh, exactly. Yeah. And I can't take total credit. I always uh, Lindsay Webb pretty much did a lot of the writing, my story, my expertise, but uh, she certainly had the expertise of having a a young boy at that age too, so she knew how to write things. So I I try not to take all the credit, but it seems like a lot of the times um, everybody thinks it's my book, but it was definitely a a team effort. Yes, (laughs) there you go. A collab, isn't that what they call it now? For sure. Audrey W., since you have been on the job a while now, what was the biggest surprise about about what the job entailed, good or bad? I say the it's
4: hard. I, I wrote a little note on this because it's an interesting question and it's funny. I was saying I've been on the job a while. I guess I have, um, mm. and at eight years, to me things are normal. That to other people and and you now being having retired and everything, you're like, oh yeah, that's part of the job. But to other to a lot of people in the world or country, however you want to look at it, even in the state, are just amazed at the opportunities that we get to interact with wildlife or the missions that we have to go on and, and things like that. So, one of the biggest surprises for me, I guess, is uh, just how how much you are able to like develop your own area and uh, like you you know I have nine towns that I cover cover normally, and really there's nobody it's my responsibility to deal with everybody here. So mm. that was very surprising. I don't have to go to, you know, the office and check in in the morning. I don't have to go and do a daily brief or anything like a regular police work or definitely in the military. I don't do a patrol brief before each patrol or, you know, I don't conduct a pre-combat check. I, it's up to me to do everything. So it, I, I like the independence and it was fairly surprising. Um, and I can just... Being a young officer, I can remember as a trainee actually riding on the four-wheeler, like, I'm getting paid right now to ride around on the four-wheeler. I mean, this is awesome. This is, hmm. it was very, it was, it's all, when you're new, I think it's all like a surprise of like, wow, I can't believe that this is part of my responsibility. Or, you know, I picked up a bunch of turkey pults and brought them to the kids real quick before I took them to the rehab or so they could see all the little chicks and everything, the pults. And every day was kind of a surprise. And even now there's still some things that you're... Like, wow, I can't believe I'm doing this, or this is something that I never thought I would be involved in, but here I am. So the job is definitely a doorway to a lot of different things, and that's what I like about it, just a wide variety of things.
2: Yeah, you're right. It takes a special personality to do it because you're right, and you're relied on a lot by the department, by your supervisors to do the job within your patrol and do it well and to be that ambassador for the department as well as the enforcer yeah Um, it's definitely and and you can focus on certain things or not focus on certain things so and hopefully some of those things don't rise to the attention of your supervisors if they're (laughs) not being paid attention to because then you'll be directed to pay attention to them (laughs) exactly no that's exactly it yeah. No, that, that's, that's pretty neat. And, you know, I always looked at my whole area, go where the activity is because, you know, we had very active area in the Pittsburgh area with snowmobiles and ATVs. And I always encourage the guys making sure there's coverage, you know, district-wide, but go where the activity is. Yeah. Um, you know, certain times a year, it's in different places doing different things. So if it requires two or three officers, take two or three officers, just don't. leave Always leave one behind. That was always my... Uh, motto so yeah and yeah <laughs> to respond to whatever to respond happens. so there's a green uniform at a rescue <laughs> yeah. uh early on <laughs> we're on page two so kathy b what is the most gratifying gratifying part of your job and the most difficult
4: uh, i think one of the more gratifying parts is just working with people so a majority of Almost all of my interactions with people are positive and I that is very mm. something that's happy that makes me happy is to make other people happy. Even like we're coming out of snowmobile season, so a prime example of writing speeding tickets. I mean, I sit on it straight away and it's almost like shooting a fish in a barrel. If somebody has the itch for speed, I got them right mm-hmm. there. And I this whole winter, which was a short season, well, I'll complain about that a little bit. We had a rough winter for snowmobiling, but mm. this whole winter I didn't have anybody upset with me that i'm writing them a ticket and by the end of it they're it's always a joke or a friendly in you know friendly exchange and they're they're yeah they're getting summoned, but it's a violation and it's a smaller fine if you will so i think that that's just gratifying in general is that people have a respect for you and i try to treat people you know in in the sense that regardless of the situation i want If I were in their, if they were in my shoes type deal and they were the one issuing me the ticket or giving me the verbal warning or whatever, you know, that I would want them to be treating me in in such a way. Yeah. So for me, I, most of my interactions that I have with people, even in, even in kind of what would be more extreme situations are usually very pleasant or they end on a positive note. And I, I can see I either got the message across, I enforced the law that I needed to, or I generally made a friend or at least somebody that respects me and understands that I'm here doing what I do. So I think that's probably one of the most gratifying things is that I'm a member of of my community and I'm a part of my patrol and I, you know, I make my own destiny here for myself, I guess. Mm. Um, The difficult thing, I mean, is the reverse of that is when you get somebody that is completely just a jerk, if you will, and you know you catch somebody doing something they're not supposed to and then it becomes your problem you know i'm i'm the problem mm-hmm. like you were the one that was on posted property that killed a deer illegally you know the consequences there's consequences for your actions mm-hmm. i'm not being unfair to you i mean fair is you know kind sounds of sounds like you've had this conversation before <laughs> oh yeah but at the same time you know it, it they they fight you tooth and nail and mm-hmm. they don't want to accept responsibility for what they did i don't go None of us, I don't think, go looking for trouble. We're not trying to like create something out of nothing. But when when things happen and people make decisions, I mean, just accept the consequences. If you made a bad decision, you know, we all try to rationalize and justify our actions to
2: ourselves all the time. You know, and, and we appreciate that it, and respect it. Yeah, so.
4: and some people are really good at it and in able to accept. Like you, you mm-hmm. know, it's if you accept what you did, and I'm telling you, look, this was a problem we're going to move forward with it. And you say, okay. And that, that makes my, makes me feel good. And it makes, I feel like that's what we're hoping for. But when you get somebody that fights you and is, you know, calls you names and hires a lawyer that, you know, tries to shoot you down and makes life just miserable for me, who is, all I'm trying to do, look, I didn't create this problem. You created this problem. I'm just trying to uphold the law that we've all decided is, as society. We've said, no, you're not supposed to do this because that's either unfair or unethical or, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to hurt somebody else or hurt, you know, the wildlife that can't call the police on, you know, if if Joe Deere gets shot, Bob Deer doesn't call us and say, hey, my buddy just got killed mm-hmm. illegally. So that's a kind of a crazy thing. And, and some people just are of that personality or upbringing that they won't accept what they've... You know, their actions have consequences and they'll fight you and make your life miserable. So that is a difficult yeah. part for me. And I don't like it when people don't like me because yep. I try to be uh, likable.
2: And, and I've I've had those things. And <laughs> the, the guy I appreciated the most, we'd knocked on his door. He opened the door and he's like, you got me. Yep. Vietnam vet, Leo, great guy to this day. I always enjoy seeing him, but open the door. You got me. And I'm like, we got what? you what? You know what you got me at. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, uh, he, he paid his fine. And yeah. another guy in the same case, you know, just uh, like you said, was uh, just fought it, fought it, fought it, fought it, fought it. When one says, You got me, and the other guy says, Nope, I didn't do it. And yeah. Yeah. So, been there, done that, understand it. But those, those are good answers. Mike P. Do game wardens in New Hampshire have a set work schedule? Minimum floating requirements. I know all of you work crazy hours, just wondering how flexible it is. Um, so we, we have a schedule as in
4: we have days on, so we have days that we're scheduled to work and then we can work, um, kind of the way that we see fit to our patrol. You know, generally it's an eight and a half hour day is what we would consider our regular day, but there's a lot of flexibility in that. Um, like around here, if I get up, During the summer, first thing in the morning, I'm only going to, I'm not going to say that I'm only going to run into people fishing that are fly fishing enthusiasts, but I have a lot of rivers and brooks and it's pretty much everybody's fly fishing and not your average recreational fisherman that might not have their license or might not be, you know, might be taking over limited trout. So sometimes it's for me to work better in the evenings. And I decide, you know, I decide that, that I'm going to start my day at nine o'clock and then work into the evening or come home for dinner and then go back out and hit a lot of the national forest campgrounds and everything around here. So that's just an example. We, ha- we do have a lot of flexibility, and that's one of the good parts, really good parts about this job. We do work crazy hours, but they're not crazy to us because we're trying to, I mean, I think every conservation officer, especially in this state, you know, has a focus of we want to catch somebody that's out there doing something wrong that's intentionally doing it and so for us to work late hours during hunting season or you know work sit all night on the field or go and, and try and get a decoy shot or something that that's not too crazy for us because that's really what we're here to do and that's one of the most important parts of our job so not uh, does everybody always understand that does my wife and kids always understand <laughs> that and that's what i talked about maybe in the beginning about mm. trying to balance everything I could work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, mm-hmm. and, and make a difference, but what difference am I making for my family,
2: and, you know, how is that going to balance out in the
4: long run? Mm, yeah, yeah, good answer.
2: Understandable, too. And your supervisors certainly want you to be working the activity, too, because if you, you know, you're signing on at six and signing off at two, then they're going to be like, uh, what about <laughs> the other stuff? So, yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, we, we have a tendency to keep an eye on that, too, to make sure you're keeping things in line in your area, so to speak. Yeah. But, uh, yeah and it's a, you're right, it's a balancing act, so we certainly understand that hey sometimes the family comes first too, yeah, even though the smelt's running somewhere and you gotta go to a play, yeah <laughs> and we're and we are lucky I mean people you hear it a lot in uh
4: about people oh you guys work crazy hours, you guys do this, and you guys are on subject call back or you have, you know if there's something mm. big you can get called and a lot of that is true, but I mean it's no different than somebody that works a midnight shift or you know that there's a lot of people that are less have a more a more intrusive work schedule than we do in a lot of different careers, mm. um, and we're afforded the flexibility. Like I said, like you're talking about a play, like how great is it? I've I've done it um, where during hunting season it's the fall play, and you know, I'll go to the play, it you know finishes at 6:30 or whatever and then I go back out, you know, I can go Make back out money. for yep. another hour and a half or something like that, go sit in a field and then go, you know, then switch and meet up with somebody and like work another group of fields for the evening. Like it, mm-hmm. it it's not like I have to be in a warehouse like or I don't have to be at a retail job or at a factory for that entire period. It it does afford us a lot of flexibility and I think I'm lucky because uh you know, the supervisor that I have understands that and the group mm. of people that I work with in our district, District Three, which is a pretty big area, you know, we all kind of have that same idea of like we make things happen, but at the same time, we can't let our families go. Josiah is a great example
2: of that, right? Mm-hmm. He's always
4: he's always trying to balance everything. Yeah, he's got, I mean, got a he's got a lot of
2: family going on there. Cub Scoutness <laughs> and yeah, yeah. <laughs> three boys with his personality, yeah. he's running every which direction. So his his wife's his wife's going to heaven for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Our last question, uh, Joy A. First of all, the game wardens of New Hampshire all seem to be so kind and caring. They haven't met all of them. So <laughs> right. I'm, I'm wondering what it's like to raise a family and work the hours that you do. I, I gotta. We, we covered a lot of that, Joy, and a lot of it, but I'll uh, let uh, John step up to the plate on that. Things we say, didn't cover? <laughs> no, I say it is. So the schedule, I mean, it's
4: a lot more forgiving than being in the military, um, coming out of the army, mm-hmm. you know, you, you went on leave when they said it was time for everybody to go on leave or, you know, you wanted to go, um, to somebody's wedding and it was in the middle of a big training event. You, you, it's too you bad. Go. You're not going. Yeah. Mm. Uh, you gotta be to work it. Uh, so especially as you become like a, uh, you know, as a supervisor, if you're a Sergeant, you're in charge of just four people or five people and you're a staff Sergeant, you're in charge of, you know, nine people or a platoon Sergeant would be in it. More than that forty, so if everybody has to be there at six, then you have to be in there at four thirty <laughs> you know mm-hmm. like it it gets more and more crazy, so I do like being in charge of myself. I do mm-hmm. like being having that flexibility really, I guess we talked about it now several times, but it has been a great so far it's been great for my family to just have them be kind of a part of my life um where as a game warden, I can take them to see places that I've discovered. I can bring things here. I don't, I bring animals home all the time. Mm. Um, A lot of them are dead just so that (laughs) like, Hey, I picked this up. Have you guys ever seen whatever? And uh, you know, it's been pretty crazy to think about just what they've been exposed to already. I think it's a good depending. And again, everybody's different and everybody there's different personalities and different family types and every dynamic is different. But for, for my wife and I, and then uh, my kids, it's been really so far a good career to be able to work and kind of enjoy like what I do. And then that translates into being a happy person as a, as a family man too. So obviously some days are stressful, some days are busy, but uh, at all, I think the whole balancing act that, that I've more or less can pull off now, um, is made it comfortable for me, made it comfortable for my kids, made it comfortable for my wife. So,
2: yeah. yeah. And you're right. Your family becomes part of the fishing game family. Really, Yeah. They, they can answer a lot of the questions that you answer. Yeah. And uh, they're,
4: I mean, and it's like, they do have a lot of unique experiences about mm-hmm. seeing, you know, like picking up a falcon that had, they had found over at rumney climbing rocks and i you know bring it home real quick before i take it down to maria colby and mm-hmm. like, you know who gets to see like a falcon you know right. hanging out type deal i'm assuming it was a paragon
2: yep, yep. yeah nice yeah
4: exactly or just anything i think mm-hmm. a couple months ago somebody caught like a ermine you know a short-tailed weasel it was yeah. all but it was all in its winter color it was pure right. white so i'm like wow well, And wait till they get older because I'll come and get it and bring it home and see everybody saw it for, you know, it's still in its cage and everything before I release it, but
2: yeah. I'm always amazed, like my son, that that the information he has gathered and the information he knows that he can pass on, like like wildlife ID, Yeah, you know, he'd know a peregrine falcon right quick because he's seen them and, you know, it's just interesting to, to see him interact with other kids of his age and the wildlife knowledge he knows just because of, like you said, the exposure... To it through the family group and uh, how he shares it with his class and, and stuff like that. So it's a, it's very unique as as we do and we support each other too. I mean, wives support each other. Yeah. A, as a group, it, it, it's a it's a it's a big family, and uh, it has to be, because uh, we we do a lot of different things and a lot of different activities, and <laughs> yeah, you know, we have our ups and downs as well. So it's good to have that support among the districts, among the state. So and I think nationwide uh, that's a lot of it I see it uh, slipping away maybe a little uh, then the, and I'm not even going to say the new generation just the way things are done I don't think we're so family orientated as a group I say that and then I think of some of the people that are so I just I, I hope that stays because I think it's necessary for our job yeah
4: definitely and I'm and because because you can't well, I won't say you can't, but a lot of people being part of a family is like, you know, your micro community. And then as a game warden, especially in New Hampshire, like you, you have to be a part of your community. You're not going to hmm. be successful. You're not going to be as successful if nobody knows who you are. You just drive around and then, you know, they're like, well, there goes John. But, you know, I, I talked to him once and he seemed like kind of a jerk. Like you, ha- you really mm-hmm. have to be a member of your community in order to... Know what's going on, know people, have somebody trust you enough to come up to you and say, Hey, I don't want to be a rat, but mm. I, you know, Billy's doing this and I don't think that's right. And that it's, it's funny. That's a lot of what we do is mm-hmm. that. And I, it, for me, it just, it's all how you interact with people. And I try, I, it's funny that I feel like I'm the same person, regardless of whether I have on a uniform that has a patch that says conservation officer or I'm just, just walking around and down in town and somebody's talking to me. I, I don't, I don't feel like I'm a different person when I put on a gun and a badge. And I'm like the same thing. I don't feel like I'm a different person when I'm at my house. Maybe a little bit with Carla. Maybe a little bit. I'm a <laughs> you, little... you don't order her around, do you? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> but that, I that didn't go well in my house either. Yeah, but I don't treat, you know, I, I try, like I said I tr- before, I try, I try and treat everybody the way that I would want them to treat me. And that seems to work out well. And
2: yeah. Mm-hmm no that's, that's, that's a great way I think to end this podcast, John so but uh, thanks for sitting down and answering all these questions our Our first format like this, which I thought was pretty intriguing, uh, seemed like a perfect amount of questions, uh, a little overlap in some of them, so people are thinking of the same type of thoughts as uh, you know they're watching Northwood's Law and they're listening to the wardens watch podcast Oh, no, that's good yeah wow, great appreciate it thanks thanks for uh, coming all the way down to
4: Thornton, New Hampshire. Here. Yeah, are well, going over you, to Romney for I, I know. Your yeah.
2: wife facilitated this, and yeah. I just uh, was like, well, if I'm going to do that, uh, would John be available for an interview? And she's like, absolutely. <laughs> and I, I don't think she ran it by you. <laughs> well, that's all right. It goes unspoken, right? Well, that's great. Thanks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> wardens
1: watch.